Well, uh, good morning. Welcome, as Zach was saying, to the start of our new sermon series. Whether you are on site with us here in Lewis Farms, or if you are joining us online from around Canada and beyond, we are two communities who come together as one congregation. And as one congregation, we are striving to be at the heart of new life, to be at the heart of new life in Lewis Farms and beyond. And I start off there because I think it's important for us to remember that whenever you gather a group of people together, especially during times like COVID right now where we're a little bit scattered, different homes, different cities, different provinces located here within the church, when you gather a group of people together, where we're talking about a team, a choir, or a group of employees, if you want to accomplish a goal, if you want to fulfill the mission that is aligned with that group, we've all got to be on the same page. And so I want to start by talking about how we have different groups, different communities, but we are one congregation with one mission. And I think we would all agree that the first step to ensuring that we can successfully accomplish that mission is that we have to be able to define what we're trying to accomplish, but then also how we're going to collectively be able to accomplish it. If you're on a team, we call this a playbook. If you're part of a company, they call it a business plan. If you are a professor, it's sometimes referred to as the syllabus. If you are a builder or a contractor, you would refer to it as the blueprints. These things that determine what you're trying to accomplish and how you're going to go about it. Now, whatever name we choose to talk about this, the purpose is the same. The purpose for all these things is the same. We're trying to provide a clear, comprehensive set of directions that everybody can follow. Take, for example, uh, we see this in sports quite a bit. Uh, in particular, uh, think of a football team. Even if you're not familiar with the sport of football, I'm sure there's at least a general awareness that a football team has a lot of people involved. There's, there's a group that's on the offense. There's another group of people on the defense. There's a group of special teams. There's a group of backups for all of those people. And then there's a busload of coaches who show up for a game. Many, many people who are part of a football team. But all of those people... Different teams, different people have one mission. That mission is to win. And the mission gets broken down into smaller objectives, and the objectives quite often can be referred to as scoring points. And the ability to score points gets broken down further into steps called the plays that the team runs. So the team runs plays to score points to win the game to fulfill the mission. Make sense? Right. Now, when I was back in high school, I played football, and there were a couple years as I played football, I was the quarterback. And so when I would get into the huddle where all the team offense gathers and I would call the play, I would have 11 guys plus me, 12 of us would be in this huddle. And I would look at them all and I would say something like, fake 21, 34 option left on two. And then we would go run the play. Now, to those who understood, to those who comprehended what fake 21, 34 option left on two means... They understood, they had the same definition of each of those terms, and they knew that I had just assigned responsibilities and jobs to 12 different people, but all those 12 different jobs aligned to one goal, to successfully run the play, to score points, to win the game. Now, to those who didn't comprehend, maybe some who are sitting here today who are thinking, that just sounds like gibberish. What does that mean? Fake 21, 34 option left on two. 
It sounds like gibberish to some people, and that's one of the problems we need to, to, to fend against. Because if it sounds like gibberish, you can end up with a situation where a lot of very talented athletes are going to step up to the line, and when the ball gets snapped and they go play the game, they're going to do a lot of good athletic things. But it's going to be complete chaos on the field. And even though doing good things, good athletic things, the chaos will not lead to fulfilling the play, to scoring points, to fulfilling the mission to win the game. You see, whenever we have a group that comes together, if we want to accomplish a goal, we must begin with clear, comprehensive definitions and instructions if we're going to succeed in our mission. Now, I go through all that at the start here because I think the same common sense principle can be applied to the church. You see, to make sure that we're all on the same page, it is necessary to define some of these things. And when I say the same page, I don't mean my page. I mean, if we open the scriptures, uh, we open the Bible and we look at the Word of God, there are some pages where Jesus said some wonderful things. We need to get on the same page as Him. And what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is have a look at some of those pages. And we can look at this and see this as the clear blueprint to new life that we can all experience with Him. Now, let me give you an example. For example, of this, if I were to say that and suggest to you that the mission of all Bible-based, Jesus-focused churches is the same. And and that the clear mission, I believe, that of all Bible-based, Christ-focused churches is the same. And that mission is to make disciples. And we read about this when Jesus has gave us the great co-mission, meaning there's a cooperative mission that he gave to us to be a part of. In Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Where Jesus provided that clear, comprehensive, biblical blueprint that is our mission. And it reads this way. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So, here comes the really quick pop quiz part of the sermon so far. And the answer's on the screen. It couldn't get any easier than this, folks, but I want you to participate and answer with me. What is the purpose of the church? To make disciples. Let's say it again. What is the purpose of the church? To make disciples. Now, churches have freedom on the language that they want to use to how to describe that, but it must point back. It must reflect the point that Jesus gave us that the purpose of the church is to make disciples. But that doesn't solve the problem. It actually creates the bigger problem for us that we're going to spend more time looking at today and the weeks ahead. It begs a question. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? And I want you to take that question seriously. I want you to pause, even right now in this moment, and answer that question in your own mind. If you're taking notes and writing them down, write down the question and then write down what your answer to that question is. What is a disciple? If you're watching online, you can type in the comments your answer to this question. What is a disciple? And I can tell you right now, as you're thinking and writing and typing those things down, there will be a variety of answers. And some people are going to struggle to answer that question, and and I want to let you know that that's okay. It's not okay because there isn't an answer. We're we're hopefully going to arrive at an answer before we're done today. But I want you to know what's okay because there is a long period of time where I struggled with this question. And so I want you to feel the freedom to struggle right now in this moment with this question because I spent 45 years of my life in church. I have spent a lot of years in university and seminary getting degrees in religion and theology and to the master's level. 
I've been a pastor for 15 years, and through that whole time, I have been given pieces of the answer. I have been shown living examples of the answer. But in over all those years, I can honestly tell you, nobody ever looked me in the eye and said, this is a biblical definition of what it means to be a disciple. I was given all sorts of examples and all sorts of pieces of it, but no one ever told me in a clear, comprehensive description what it is. So some of your answers, like some of the answers I had received over the years, may include things like you got to know your Bible. you got to read, you got to study, you got to memorize your Bible. The Bible is an acronym for, for basic instructions before leaving earth. We, we need to know that. It's true. Some other people may have answers along the lines of, you got to care for the lost. I know the difference that Jesus makes in my life, and, and I just want to get other people in the door of the church, of the small group. I want to get them online so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Others may have answers that reflect the idea of we need to love the marginalized. Jesus spent so much of his ministry serving the poor, meeting those who are on the margin, on the fringe of society, and that therefore disciples need to have hearts that hurt for these people that want to serve them, meet their needs, and and do so in love. Or you may have an answer that says, well, worship. Worship with our whole beings. Romans 12, our lives are living sacrifices. We use all of our resources, all of our energy to know and to make known God. Did the answer in your mind, what you wrote down, what you typed it, did it reflect any of these things? Because they're all good things. They're all relevant important things. They're all well-meaning, biblical-based answers, but there's a problem. All those examples I gave you, while they have relevance, does it provide you an image of a team that is working towards the same goal in a coordinated effort, or does it give you more of an image of a lot of good people doing a lot of good things, but with a degree of chaos? You see, I believe Jesus also gave us not just a clear, comprehensive description of what the mission of the church is, but he also took the steps to give us clear, comprehensive, biblical definition of what it means to be a disciple. It includes all those examples I gave you. Without even reading or knowing your answers, I'm going to guess that it includes many, if not all, the answers that you've been thinking of. But I want us to have a description that ties them all together. That ties them all together so that if you are seeking to know more, where you are curious about the things of Jesus, you're curious about the difference he makes in your life, a definition you can grasp. If you are a believer who is captivated by Jesus Christ and you are seeking to go deeper in your relationship, a definition that will give you identifiable markers along that path. If you are a leader in the church and you are committed to the mission of the church, a definition that you can understand and all operate by. And so today... I want to introduce you to that definition that is simple enough to understand, yet broad enough that it can hold the weight of other scriptures. And then when we are done, I want to bring it all together to create what I hope will be a common definition for us here at West Meadows as we can see it as the blueprint to new life with Jesus for us and for the world around us. Sound all right? All right. I hope so, because i got nothing else planned for today. So, so that's where we're going. i got a lot to cover, so let's get going. It all begins early on in Jesus' ministry, where one of the first things that he did was he gathered together a group of men and women that are referred to as the first disciples. 
We read about this in most of the Gospels where we talk about how Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee and he saw a few boats that were parked up near the shore one day. And these were full of fishermen who were washing their nets from the night before where they did not have a rather good, profitable evening. They didn't catch much fish. So as the morning comes around, they're a little grumpy, they're a little tired, they're a little hungry, and they're washing their nets in the water, waiting to go home to sleep and try again the next night. And while they're washing their nets along the shore, Jesus hops into one of the boats. Happened to be the boat of Peter. Now, Peter had just finished fishing all night. He didn't want a passenger in his boat, but he had encountered Jesus before. He had heard of Jesus before, and Jesus looks at him and basically says, let's go fishing. Anybody else he would have said no to, but this was Jesus. And while he didn't have a personal relationship with him yet, he did know enough about him to say, all right. So he agrees, and they cast off, and they get to the spot Jesus points out. They cast the nets where Jesus tells them to cast the nets. And as they start to haul them in, There are so many fish in the net that Peter's got to call others to come join him, other boats to come help haul that all in so they can just get it in the boat, yet alone contain it in their boats. And the Gospels tell us that these fishermen have so much fish in their boat that the boats are starting to sink. This is an amazing event for these guys. Not only because this is the catch of a lifetime, but also because it fulfills the need in their lives that they were not able to fulfill the night before on their own. And in the midst of this high point in the life and the career of a fisherman, surrounded by enough fish that the boats are sinking and they could boast about this for years to come, Jesus looks at Peter and the others and he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In a basic sense, this is an invitation he offers to them. One that we're told they immediately accepted. And they began a three-year journey where it changed their lives, and their lives changed the world. And it's the exact same invitation that's offered every single one of us today. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the question remains hanging there, and how will we respond? And don't answer too quickly. Because some of you may respond and go, well, I've already said yes to Jesus. I've given my life to him, and I've been following him for years. And, and that's very true. I won't question that or doubt that. But before we answer too quickly, let's unpack this verse a little bit. And see that there are three important principles to how we define the word disciple that Jesus is calling them and us to become. And we see this in the first two words where he says, follow me. Which is essentially an invitation to begin walking in step with Jesus. Uh, One of the common ways that we use this word in the world today is we talk about following somebody on social media. Uh, A few moments ago during our announcements, we asked you to follow us on Facebook. Uh, You may have followers uh, on, uh, on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter. People follow sports teams. When we talk about it in this fashion... Uh, what we're saying is that we're going to follow somebody. We're, we're going to watch them steadily. We're going to stay aware of the events and the news that happens in their lives and just stay up to date on things. But that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Because, you see, that type of following, while it feels like there's a sense of awareness and participation, you can do that. You can follow somebody on social media in that fashion. You can do so from an arm's distance where you have an awareness but no association. 
See, what Jesus is talking about here more accurately is a simpler way of understanding the word follow, which, which literally in this case means to come after me, which is similar to the children's game we've all played, follow the leader, where one child walks out front and others follow him behind. And, and as, as Johnny jumps, we jump. As Sally bends, we bend. And, and you talk this way, walk this way, turn this way, jump this way. You follow the leader. Now, Every time I think of that, I'm reminded of when my daughter Kaylina was eight years old at school playing a modified version of Follow the Leader. See, the modified version they had is where they would put their coats over their heads, and then one person would give them verbal cues on how to follow the leader. Three steps forward, Kaylina. Two steps to the left, Kaylina. And she would follow this, and, and they eventually walked her right into a post, and she knocked her two front teeth out, which was quite an experience for us. I got that good phone call to take her down to the dentist. Now, here's the good news. Unlike Kaylina's friends, you can trust where Jesus wants to lead you to. But see, following him means that we recognize and accept who he is, that he is the Lord, that he is the leader of our lives. And then we respond to his leadership, we respond to his direction by putting him in front and putting ourselves behind. Jesus told his disciples this in John 12, 26, when he says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, Right behind me, my servant will be. Now, some people are taught that when you come to Jesus, that he will fulfill all of your plans, all of your wishes. But folks, that's just not true. That's actually completely contrary to what we're talking about here. Because if that's what Christianity was all about, that would essentially put us as the leaders and Jesus in place behind us. But that's not what we're talking about here. However, part of me, and I'm going to guess part of you, wants it that way. We resist the leadership of Jesus. Why? Because we like to self-rule. I don't know about you, but I, I, I like to self-rule. There's something natural in me that wants to do it. This idea of, of being free of constraint. That I can do what I want, be what I want, go where I want, forge my own path in the world. It is appealing. And I know that I'm competent enough that sometimes I can do it okay. But I don't care how, how, how successful, how rich, how famous you are. I honestly believe that every single one of us, when we get into the quiet times in our life, when we get alone by ourselves with our thoughts that we don't share with anybody else, if we're honest with ourselves, while we like to forge out sometimes, more often than not, it feels like we're walking in a fog. It feels like we have a coat pulled over our head. And to be honest with each other, we're tired of walking into posts. Because of self-ruling. But through Jesus' teachings, through his examples, through his presence in a person's life, he can provide the guidance we need every day in every season. But Jesus also told us, he was the first to acknowledge that it's not easy. He was the first to acknowledge that on our own we will not be able to be perfectly obedient to this. We will not be perfect in following him every day. Which is why he told us it needs to become a daily choice to follow him. And that daily choice will lead to evidence and will lead to growth. He talked about this in Matthew 16 where he says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must take up their cross and follow after me. For whoever wants to save their life, self-rule, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, Christ ruled, will find it. 
So he uses strong language here that speaks of a cross, this, this instrument that has one purpose. The cross only has one purpose, and it is to bring about death. And he says we daily need to nail our self-rule to the cross and surrender to be Christ-ruled. And if we will do that in one of the greatest paradoxes that we find in the Bible, the good news is that by doing that, we actually find new life. Now this notion that we need to follow after Jesus, this first principle of discipleship, primarily happens at the head level. Where people make a decision to accept the invitation of Jesus Christ to follow him. Where people have some knowledge of who he is, like Peter. Peter didn't know much about Jesus at that point, but he knew enough, he was captivated enough to say, yeah, let's go fishing and see where this journey leads. He didn't fully grasp everything, but he knew enough to take that step at the head level to make the decision to put Jesus in the lead of his life. To allow him to be in that spot. To allow him to start illuminating our thinking so that we can grow in our wisdom as followers, as those who follow after Jesus in the footsteps of Jesus. And every day, thousands of people around the world still make this decision. Every day, thousands of people still make the decision to become followers of Jesus Christ, to say yes to the invitation to follow me. And it brings them into a personal experience for themselves to find out that he has the authority and he has the truth that we need in our leader. First principle, follow me. Head-level decision to accept the call of Jesus. Which leads us to the next part of this passage. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says, follow me. And then the next five words say, and I will make you. Which speaks of a process of transformation. This is the second principle of what it means to be a disciple is that we can expect an outcome of following to be a changed person. And this happens to everybody. I think it's more pronounced in adults who make this decision as you know, later in life because they've had longer periods of time of self-rule, that the change is more drastic and apparent. But this happens to everybody when they choose to start following Jesus. I'm reminded of a family that I had an opportunity to encounter and to walk with for, for a couple years, you know, a number of years back. And when they came to me, uh, without going into all the details, it was just, it was a messy, messy situation. On the verge of divorce and, and, and all sorts of abuse taking place in the home. Their neighbors knew them basically as, as dysfunction junction, was what they referred to in their neighborhood. And when this family came to me in, the, in this really low, bottom, end of, the, end of the rope kind of moment, I had the opportunity to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And it was like water on a sponge as they accepted him as their Lord and Savior personally. And when that happened, both an immediate and a gradual change started to take place. Immediately, their marriage just, just, just flipped around and started to heal. Immediately, they had this renewed love for each other and for their family. And they started to rebuild the relationship with their kids that they had destroyed over the years of dysfunction. It was so immediate and so drastic that the neighbors thought people that they moved out because the cops quit showing up every night. And there was peace in the neighborhood. They thought, well, they must have left or killed each other or something because it's peaceful. That immediate change happened. But a gradual change started to take place as well. As I continued to meet with them and walk with them, help them learn more about Jesus Christ, grow in their faith, answer their questions, they started coming back to me with more questions as they were reflecting upon the wrongs that they had done in the past to other people. 
And like, I mean, some bad stuff that they were confessing and that they're being convicted by. And this is stuff that they had never thought twice about before. But all of a sudden, they were brokenhearted. How could I possibly ever have done something like that? What are the steps to, to, to confess it, to make restitution for it? They wanted to make these situations right. And they started serving in the church. Starting wanting to make a practical difference in the lives of other people, in the church and in the community. And, and I get these constant stories from them about the things that they were doing, the ways that they were serving, those that they would encounter. And, and I remember one particular morning, there's a lady walked into the church and I greeted her at the door. She says, Pastor Mark, yesterday I was driving to Costco and I saw this homeless guy with his cart and these bags of bottles and he was struggling. And I thought, I got a van. I can haul it for him. So I pulled over and I said, hey, I'll give you a ride to the bottle depot as long as I can tell you about Jesus. And he said, yes, so I gave him a ride. And so the pastor in me is like on one hand going, yes, this is, this is the stuff where we go like, and serve and, and make a difference in the world. And the other part of me is going, that's really dangerous. Like, like don't pick up homeless people in your car. And so I said to her, I said, that's awesome, but, but you got to be careful. And she looked at me and she goes, you know my background. I could have taken him. And she was right. Like, I, I couldn't argue with her. She probably could have. But anyways, what was taking place in her was that Jesus was molding her heart, molding their hearts to be more like his. And it's important to highlight this. Because here and in other parts of Scripture, we find out that, that this is something that Jesus does. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in it. It's not something that we just will and muster. It's something Jesus does in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. What is our role? Our role is to continue to follow. To allow ourselves to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul explained it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Where he said, whoever turns to the Lord, whoever follows, starts following Jesus... The veil is taken away. It's like the coat is removed from over their eyes. So all, all of us who have had the veil removed, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. You see, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the one who immediately and continually makes this change happen in your life as you gradually start to become shaped into the image of Christ. Now, that's hard for some people to accept. Because there are some people out there who have been told or who believe that they need to get themselves cleaned up before they start following. There are some people who have come to the conclusion or falsely been taught that even after you start following, you need to be perfect or Jesus has rejected you and clawed back your salvation. And then they reach the situation like, but I still fail so much. I'm not good enough, he wouldn't accept me. And such thinking leads to people who never take the step, who never make the head-level decision to start following, or it leads to people who get frustrated and start falling away. Both of those are a form of self-rule of believing that it's still upon us to make the change happen within us instead of understanding it's us that follows and submits to his leadership. See, this kind of thinking, this kind of teaching is wrong 
Because God is the one who does the inviting and God is the one who does the work of change in our lives. If you read the Gospels and look at these disciples, man, at the start, partway through, and almost to the very end, these guys are selfish, they are rude, they are clueless, they are hot-headed, they are immature, and they are Jesus' main guys. They're the main women who are following him. They were not spiritual giants. They were regular people with struggles and rough spots that over a gradual period of time, Jesus was chiseling, just chiseling off of them. Chiseling them more to reflect his image, inside and out. Their role was to follow. Their role was to allow the process to happen and to submit to the Christ rule over the self-rule and allow it to gradually take shape. You see, this second principle of what it means to be a disciple is primarily a spiritual response to the Holy Spirit. It speaks about people who at the heart level are following Jesus Christ, assimilating his words, his teaching into their lives and allowing the Holy Spirit to use that to transform them in their inner beings so they start to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. You see, if you have viewed Christianity in a different way, if you've thought Christianity is about a set of rules, it's a bunch of laws, a bunch, a bunch of do's and don'ts, that's what it is. It's, it's about a philosophy to live by. You've seen it all wrong. Because Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about a relationship with God who changes you from the inside out. Who makes you unmade so that you can be remade. So that you can grow in your affection for God. And as you grow in your affection for God and are changed from the inside out by the power of his Holy Spirit, we start to see ourselves. We start to see the world with the eyes and the heart of God. And it changes. And if we can make the head-level decision to start following him, if we can allow the Holy Spirit that comes to dwell within us to do the inner work of changing us, it then leads to the third aspect of what it means to be a disciple. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's a third aspect. These words indicate a response to action. In other words... All of this happens, we become disciples for a purpose. And it's a purpose that is bigger than just us. The purpose is to join Jesus in his mission to love and to reach a lost and hurting world. See, Peter and all these others who were there that day, these guys have been fishermen their whole lives. That's all they knew. They knew that when I get up at night and I go out and take my boat to a certain spot, put my Nets in a certain way, leave them for a certain time, pull them in, full of fish, take those fish to the market, I can feed my family, then I can do it all over again. That's what they knew. That's really all that they knew in terms of living in the world in which they existed. But when they encountered Jesus, all of that changed. They were given a new purpose. A new purpose is Jesus still said, let's go fishing. They said, let's go fishing for people. Now, for them, that change of purpose also meant a change of career. And you need to know not everybody is called to a change of career, but all disciples are called to that purpose. All of us are called to some sort of fishing hole. Where's your fishing hole? 
If you think about that, you may find that God has called you to a certain place of work, of school, of recreation, to a certain neighborhood. Your fish and hole may be your home where a spouse or, or, or a parent or a child does not yet know and walk faithfully following the Lord. I hear stories of this from our own congregation all the time. For example, I'm reminded of a, of a guy who goes to a gym. Uh, not my gym, different gym, not me. And he strikes up a conversation with another fellow gym goer. They build a friendship. They share their lives. He's able to share his faith, and then he's able to invite this person to Alpha, where he has a chance to be invited to follow Jesus. I know of a a teacher in schools, and as we know, we're not allowed to talk about Jesus and faith in schools, and yet this person is known as a Christian, as part of their identity. And so their co-workers, other teachers and people in the school will come talk to them and, and, and invite these conversations, initiate these conversations with them, opening the door for an invitation to come join us for extravaganza, come join us for Easter Sunday service, these sorts of things. I know a person who works at the University of Alberta who is a manager of many, many people and lives a consistent Christian life in front of these people. And when her staff have issues, they come to her for counsel but they also come to her specifically asking for prayer. Every week, every Tuesday, we host a food bank here in the church where hundreds of families from, Western Edm- from West End of Edmonton have come to have one of the basic needs of their lives met through food. To be accepted. To be loved. This sparks conversation. These conversations have led to the building of Relationships. And the opportunity for us to invite them to join us, not only here at church, but at West Meadows at home, to join us online, to hear the good news of who Jesus is. You see, whether you are called to vocational ministry like, like Peter and myself, meaning that's your career, or if you are like the people in these other stories I just shared with you, where you have a different fishing hole in the world, where God has called you to be a, a teacher, a manager, a mother, a plumber, a builder, a salesman, whatever it may be, We all have this mission. And when you respond to the invitation to follow Jesus, when you start spending time with him, when his Holy Spirit starts to work within you, when your passions and your desires that used to drive you are altered, where you once used to love the possessions, the fame, the power, the prestige, they're not as important anymore. It doesn't mean they're gone. They're still there. But the Holy Spirit uses the word of God and the examples of other people to help you understand what it means to start seeking the kingdom of God first. And as that happens, you begin to care about the things that God cares about. Especially caring about the people in this world who have not yet for themselves experienced new life in Jesus Christ. Again, Paul explains this for us in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 5 this time, one of my favorite passages in the Bible where he says, so we have stopped evaluating from a human point of view. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. So we've talked about already so far. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. And all of this is the gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. We see other people with new sets of eyes. We see people with that changed heart, with the changed passions, with the changed desires. That change has happened in us through the power of the Holy Spirit as we're being gradually changed into his image. 
Then as he continues, we see the missional aspect of what the purpose of all of that is. You see, folks, the purpose of Jesus Christ coming to forgive you of your sins and to make you a child of God, that's not the final purpose. This vertical relationship is necessary and it is critical and it is important, but when that happens, we are not done. This happens so this can happen. And that's the second part of this verse where he goes, and God has given us a task. He's given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he has given this wonderful message of reconciliation to us. So we are Christ's ambassadors. You see, God is making his appeal to the world through us. See, being on mission for Jesus Christ means that we acknowledge that we are saved for God's kingdom purposes. And so it's not simply about just coming to church. It's not just about being nice to people. It's not just about cramming biblical facts into our heads. Those are all important things that that happen in the process, but that's not what it's about. It's not just about giving money so that the pastors can go do the mission of Jesus Christ. Because every follower is called to join Jesus in the mission to the world. To a world that is full of lost, hurting people who are going to hell without Christ. And there's no greater thing we can do, there's no greater love we can give than to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those people. And so from this we can see the third aspect of what it means to be a disciple. It is a call to action. And this speaks to us at the hand level. Where we are all given God-given abilities. We're all given fishing holes to work in. We all have unique experiences that allow us to go to places that other people can't go to. We've all been called to a purpose to be ministers of Jesus Christ in the world around us. And we are all called to take what God has placed into our hands and to use it to serve the world and to glorify Him. This third aspect of being a disciple means that it is a call to action. So having covered all three of these points, now having covered the full section of, 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 of Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, let's put this all together and see if we have a definition for what it means to be a disciple. So put it all together. I want to suggest to you that we do have a clear, comprehensive, biblical definition of what it means to be a disciple that is simple enough to understand, simple enough to remember, but also weighty enough, strong enough, complex enough that it can hold the weight of other scriptures that we've looked at today and many other scriptures that I will share with you during Beyond the Message if you join me tomorrow night online. And our definition is this, that a disciple is a person who is following Christ head level being changed by Christ at the heart level, and is committed to the mission of Christ in their hands. Can I invite you to say that with me? A disciple is someone who is following Christ, who is being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. Let's do it one more time, because I know we can't sing, but we can talk louder than that. A disciple is someone who is following Christ, who is being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. This is how I define a disciple. It's how I believe Jesus wants us to define a disciple we see from the scriptures and the examples he set for us. And it's what I believe our church and all Bible-believing, Christ-focused churches need to be focused upon doing. For a long time, there's been been an unintentional focus upon conversion. Convert people and then just sit them in a pew. That doesn't match this definition. 
That's part of the process and that needs to happen. That's a piece of the puzzle. But it's a bigger puzzle than that. Conversion is that first time where we decide to start following, but there's a whole path of discipleship as the immediate and gradual change continues to happen. And that's what I want to call us as a church to understand and to be about. So that we can all experience new life with Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And not just in a momentary situation, in a lifelong experience of new life with Jesus Christ. And I want to invite us to consider this as a definition that serves as the foundation for the rest of the series we're going to look at. The next couple weeks, we've talked today about what it means, what it looks like, what the definition of a disciple is. But in the weeks ahead, I want to take us on a bit of a journey to understand the method by which Jesus accomplished this. It's a blueprint that we can use in our own lives to understand how do we go deeper with Jesus but also a blueprint we can use to come alongside others to invite them to follow Jesus and to help them experience a deeper relationship and to experience new life with him as well. And so as I close today, I just want to leave you with a couple of questions. If you are at that stage where you are curious about Jesus Christ, you've had some sort of encounter through his people, through the word of God, through somebody on the radio, on the TV, on a podcast, but you have not yet said yes to become a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. Whether you're here on site or if you are online, Jesus Christ came to live that example for us, to call us to follow him, but he made it possible by paying the price for our sins upon the cross. Those sins, those wrong things that we've done in our lives that that violate God's law and, and offend others. And that sin causes separation between us and God. And, and God loves us enough and wants to bridge that gap, have a relationship with us, that he sent Jesus Christ to, to stand in the gap. To be the one who has the authority and the truth to say, follow me, you will find forgiveness, you will find freedom, you will find that new life. And all that requires for us to do is to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. If you are at that curious stage and you need to step across that line, I invite you to do so today. There are people online who can pray with you. Following the service, I'll be at the front here and I can talk and pray with you. If you have done that at some point in the past and you were captivated by Jesus Christ, but you know that you have seen a change in your heart, but you haven't allowed all of your heart. There are parts that you're guarding. There are parts that you're still self-ruling. I want to invite you to name those in your mind and your heart right now and prayerfully to release those to the power of the Spirit to transform, to continue that deepening of your relationship. And if you are one of our leaders and you are committed to the mission of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ who is committed to the mission, I want to invite you to make a list of people who you have not yet shared the good news of Jesus with that God has brought into your fishing pond. And I want to invite you to commit to say, what is stopping you from reaching those people? What is stopping you from fulfilling that third part of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? So let me pray for us as we finish today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not just come to this world to to give your life to, to save us, but you gave us purpose. You gave us not only a hope and a future, but you gave us a mission God, sometimes it baffles us that you would see us as fit to be your plan A for reaching the world. But Lord, may we be inspired by that. May we be convicted by that. God, I pray for those who have not yet made that decision to become followers of Jesus Christ, that right now that the spirit that is prompting them would prompt them to say yes and they would step forward in line with you. 
and that we as a church would not just celebrate in that moment of conversion with them, but would, would come alongside them to help disciple them, to walk with them in that deepening experience of new life that brings about through the Holy Spirit. Those of us, Lord, who are here that have people in our lives that do not yet know you, I pray that you would use us in these days ahead to be examples in word and in deed of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, of the transformation that's happened in our lives, that we'd be a living witness and testimony to others so they would know what that looks like and the steps that they could take. Help us, Lord, even during these times when it seems hard to keep in contact with other people to find ways to do so, that we would be faithful to not just follow you, not just be transformed by you, but also to be those who walk and step in the mission that is given to us by you. We pray this all in Jesus' name.